Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Animal Cloud podcast, where we dive into animal health and everything that is in that industry. Today's guests are Al, the co-founder and chief innovation officer at One Health Group, and Peyton, the chief animal care specialist at Animal Cloud. Could you please tell me more about yourself, Al? Uh, sure. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. So uh, I am a president, co-founder, and chief innovation officer, as you mentioned, for uh, One Health Group. And One Health Group is focused on animal and human health, uh, and we're leading with animal health first through our solution called Voice. Now, my background is both in computer science, uh, focused on artificial intelligence, and also uh, forensic science. I used to be a professor of forensic science at Syracuse University and uh, focused mostly, though, on chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear forensics, not the types of forensics most people see on TV. So that's uh, really uh, my, my focus. A little bit about my background, about 30 years in animal and human health. Wonderful. And could you tell us a little bit more about the story behind One Health Group and the mission? Yeah, absolutely. So One Health is really focused on the intersection of human and animal health, which are intrinsically linked. And also we take into account environmental variables. And so if you think about history, it used to be just a decade ago, about six out of every 10 infectious diseases that humans had started in animals and made the leap to humans. Now it's seven out of 10. So those are zoonotic diseases. And then when you think about vector-based diseases, those are things that come from sort of the environment, like things uh, that have to do with ticks or fleas or lice uh, and, and so forth. Those have gone up over tenfold in the past decade. And so you can see that, uh, you know, we really need to be paying attention to this intersection of uh, those three components. In addition, animals get about 70% of our chronic diseases. So when you, when you think about animals, whether you're talking about your companion animals or you're talking about a primate that's in the woods or, or whatever the case may be, they get heart, heart disease just like we do, lung diseases just like we do, and, and of course they get impacted. So our mission and our passion is really to, to learn from all the data that we collect on animals and humans and environment and try to predict and prevent health and wellness issues from occurring in both those uh, populations. Wow, that seems like a pretty good mission looking at all the things that go into both human and animal health. So with that, how is this mission personal to not only you, but the One Health Group family? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me personally, the majority of my work has been on the human side. However, you know, I lost a father from Parkinson's and uh, Parkinson's disease, his was not genetic. It was environmental based. You know, he was a, a lifer in the Navy and of course got exposed to a lot of different things. And so, uh, you know, he died way younger than he should have. I also uh, see, you know, when you think about animals, uh, again, animals suffer a lot of the same things we do. And the longevity of life isn't, uh, you know, all that great when you think about traditional companion animals. And especially if you start getting into things where people have mice or gerbils or guinea pigs, so forth, some of, some of the life quality of life and uh, the length of life is, is not all that great. 
And, and then the other thing is, I think the healthcare system is broken. And I don't mean this offensively to our wonderful practitioners out there, whether you're talking a veterinarian or you're talking somebody in a human uh, clinical environment. But, you know, a lot of times we're attacking the problem after it exists. And we're looking to try to predict and prevent the problem from ever occurring. So maybe it could be a, a lifestyle change, a dietary change, uh, something of that nature. Uh, maybe the next step might be there's some sort of pharmaceutical. And then you always want the last to really be that highly invasive uh, type of approach where it might be a surgery or radiation oncology or chemotherapy, something of that nature, right? So you want to try to catch things very early to preempt them. And by doing that, you extend quality of life, right? You, you can potentially extend the length of life. And then you also bring down healthcare costs. And so when you think about it on the human side and a lot on the animal side, a lot of the cost comes towards the end of life. And, and for some people who are dealing with chronic diseases or animals, maybe osteoarthritis or whatever the case may be, they might have years of dealing with that particular disease. And that's uh, unfortunate. So we're, we're, our passion is really to, to deal with that. And we, we take it personally from our, both our animal and human experiences, as well as wanting to impact the, the global scenario. My condolences for the loss of your father, but I love how this mission is so personal to you and to your company and how everybody really is focused on preventative measures. Because I think that with the future of just animal health in general, that is a very big next step and a key step in making sure the animals are healthy and safe. So with that, I know we talked a little bit about how a lot of your work goes with animal and human health. Are there any misconceptions about your work that you see with the public? And what would you say to those misconceptions? Yeah, the, I would say the greatest misconception is the separation of what I just defined in the animal-human environment. So we talk to people and they go, well, we, we don't deal with animals. You know, we only work on humans or we only care about that human component. And you'll get the opposite on the animal side and then you get the opposite on the environment. But the reality is they're, they're intrinsically linked again. There, there is that relationship um, among those three. And so I think the greatest misconception is that we can just focus on one and ignore the other. And that's, uh, that's not reality. And, and I can tell you that with great certainty uh, because of my research in forensic science in a number of areas and also the number of years that I've spent in medical research, both animal and human, uh, we need to focus on that bigger ecosystem than just taking the silos, uh, so to speak. Wonderful. And then could you talk a little bit more about what technology y'all work with in general as a brief overview? Yeah, thank you for that. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, One Health Group has a solution called Voice, and that's focused on animal health. And what we use is a technology called ultra-wideband radar. Now, ultra-wideband radar is part of the 5G spectrum, so everybody's sort of familiar with, uh, you know, 5G from the mobile uh, world. And so we have a very small component of that. And what the ultra-wideband radar allows us to do is look inside the body, and I mean literally, so we can see inside the body, collect anatomical, functional and, and physiologic information in a non-contact and a very safe uh, manner as well. 
Now, we sort of wrap that ultra-wideband radar, that functional, anatomical, uh, physiological information in contextual information. And what I mean by that is we provide the foundation for every reading. So what was the animal doing at that particular time the reading was taken? Were they sleeping? Were they running? Uh, you know, so if you're thinking about taking blood pressure and your dog, for instance, had just been running and, and you playing Frisbee with you or whatever the case may be, their heart rate's going to be up, their rest rate's going to be up, potentially their blood pressure's up. Well, there would be no reason to be alarmed if you knew what that animal is doing. So we sort of wrap everything in context. Our sensor, as I mentioned, is non-contact. It is very safe. It's very small, about the surface area of a quarter. And if you stack the quarters, that's about how thick it is. And so it's, it's a really nice technology. And that tech can move from the animal world into the human world. And uh, we provide a mobile app for general health status and alerts, as well as professional grade cloud-based cloud dashboard that has things such as uh, you know, predictive analytics that I mentioned earlier and allows the professional to see multiple patients in one screenshot. When you're talking about this predictive analytics, what are the kinds of metrics that y'all are looking for primarily right now in this stage? Yeah, so we primarily today are focused on cardiopulmonary information. So things like heart rate, rest rate, heart rate variability, blood pressure, ejection fraction, cardiac volume, cardiac wall motion, cardiac wall thickness, expansion and contraction of the lungs. So really sort of lung function, or is there any fluids in the lungs? Now, that said, we know we can take this technology much further. We can also determine if there's masses inside the body, so a growth. You know, you, you see sometimes animals will have, and humans get them, they're, they're called lipomas. They're like fatty uh, tumors, but they're nothing dangerous. But, you know, we could tell that that is not the normal part of the animal. Now, we can't tell you today if something's cancerous or not in those masses, but we can certainly tell you if it was a fatty tumor, for instance, like a lipoma. So those are the types of things that we can collect. And then on top of that, you get all that contextual information, you know, distance traveled, calories expended, what were the energy levels, the quality of sleep, gait analysis, uh, posture. So a number of different things that we can collect with this technology and the other sensors that are in that technology. In a totally different scenario, you might be able to see, uh, you know, there's sort of a double digit loss rate in uh, livestock that might have to do with cattle or pigs, for instance, piglets, you know, and the sow. And so we could potentially monitor the health of that piglet when it's still in the womb or the calf when it's still in the womb and, and make sure that everything is going as it as should be. If not, then again, predict and prevent. I'll give one more example, and sorry to get sort of long-winded on this, but the other example would be we, we conducted a study that was over two years at preeminent college of veterinary medicine, and the study was in osteoarthritis in canines, and certain canine breeds are somewhat predisposed to that osteoarthritis or hip dysplasia, and we were predicting the onset of that almost two years in advance so then you could provide a drug, for instance, or maybe food. You know, now they have foods that help with osteoarthritis. You could prescribe those types of things uh, in order to give quality of life to that animal and also longevity of life uh, to the animal beyond what they would have had in that 
you know, current state, you know, before we were able to predict it. That's a pretty long list of credentials y'all's technology has there. It sounds very, very impressive. So with technology constantly evolving, where do you see this going in the future? What do y'all want to accomplish with innovation and continuously expanding your technology's capabilities? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we have a 10-year product roadmap and technology roadmap already. And uh, we have a number of new features that we'll you know, bring to the market uh, based on this ultra-wideband radar technology. But we also have some other things planned that would be complementary to this technology. So uh, blood chemistry sensors, things that have to do with uh, core body temperature, for instance, being able to detect an occlusion in an artery and, you know, which can lead to stroke, for instance, in animals or humans. And then can we tell if the plaque that is in the artery is a soft plaque or a hard plaque, which is really key to know if uh, depending upon the course of action you're going to take. And the way I'll, I'll describe this is it's somewhat analogous to what ultrasound was 30 years ago. You know, years and years ago, I was an ultrasound systems engineer and, you know, you're putting sound waves into the body, right? And, and some of that gets reflected and that reflected signal is what you're interpreting. Now, ultrasound has to be in contact with the body, of course, and it's not very good with air and it's not good with penetrating bone or, or so forth. Our technology is different because of not having to be in contact. We don't care what's in the way, quite honestly. It doesn't make any difference if it's bone, air, fat, it, it, no difference at all. But we're putting uh, radio waves into the body. And those, some of those radio waves are absorbed. Some are, uh, are scattered and some get reflected. And we know how to interpret that signal that is reflected. So we could tell you if we're looking at a liver, the heart, the lungs. We're also very good at seeing motion. Again, that's how we can tell how the lungs are functioning, how's the heart functioning. We have a number of complementary uh, tech, and, and not only is ours going to be for diagnostic or monitoring, you know, whether in clinic or outside of clinic, we also have some therapies that are planned, but they're non-drug related therapies. And so we have some therapies that would help, for instance, in that osteoarthritis example I gave that actually impact uh, nerves in such a way that it's, it really cuts that signal, that pain signal from happening. So we just have a laundry list of uh, new, new technology, new solution, solutions we want to uh, bring uh, to bear, and we'll continue to find what we have. In the future, when you're talking about all these different metrics that y'all are measuring and what y'all want to do in the future, do you see this being a hardware device that will require more technical training or further understanding of techs in the veterinarian field? That's an excellent question, and I should have highlighted that earlier. So like ultrasound, it takes a sonographer, right? And a sonographer has a couple years of training, and then you have a radiologist or a clinician that's interpreting that. Well, our tech is very simple, and uh, we actually make it so you don't have to have specialized training. We're not making the clinical decision. You know, we provide the information, we provide where we see things trending, and we make recommendations or suggestions, but we don't make the final clinical decision. Obviously, the professional has to do that, but the beauty is we, there's no special training that's required. 
because the way our solution works, we uh, determine the shape of the radio wave that's going into the body, you know, how much area is it covering, and then we get that reflected signal. And then based on that, which again is a, what we call a dielectric signature, we get that dielectric signature, we can see what's going on, and we can present that in such a way that it's understandable to the clinician. So basically all the clinician has to do is put a collar on an animal, put a harness on an animal, could be in a handheld, right? And if they wanted to see what's going on with the heart, hold it close to the heart. It could be in a livestock feeder or a chute that the livestock might be walking through and collecting that data. So it's really a very simple solution. One button is all that it has to set it up and to get solution working. We have what's called care flows. Those care flows determine how the hardware is programmed. So let's say you're a clinician and you have a cat that's running as type two diabetes, for instance, or it's dealing with diabetes, or maybe you have a cat that has a weight management issue. Our solution uh, has a care flow for that. It automatically programs the hardware and sets it up. So it's just put the device on, it collects the readings, it sends the readings to the professional. It lets the pet parent know what's going on with that information. But you could extend that scenario. Maybe you have a guide dog, you know, guide dogs for the blind. Maybe it's a service animal. You know, again, maybe it's livestock. Maybe it's a horse. And you're wanting to see how they're functioning and are they healthy. There's nothing that is required as far as specialized training that's not on a little almost postcard size instructions that would come with the solution. And we did that on purpose. The other thing is too, I don't want to mislead your listeners. Unlike ultrasound, you know, we're using one transmit and one receive element for these very simple cases. Whereas ultrasound would have multiple receive and transmit elements in a transducer. But we can do the same thing. If you want to get really sophisticated and have a, a more sophisticated image, better resolution, or you wanted to collect more information, we could have multiple receive and transmit antennas. However, you know, you start to run cost up, you start to run power utilization up and also computing complexity. But again, we can, we can do a phased array. We can do linear arrays. We can do something that's uh, beam steering, right? You're adjusting where the receive and transmit uh, or where you're transmitting the signal and then how you receive it back. We can do what's called synthetic aperture radar, where you sweep across a particular region of interest and then reconstruct it. It takes more processing power. So it's really cool technology. And that's probably why we have 75 patents on our technology. And we also have about another, you know, 30, 30 plus patents pending. Wow, that's a lot, especially for everything that you do for animals. It sounds very intensive, but also the way you talk about it, it's like, very accessible in a way that a lot of pet owners really need. So with technology, there's always people who are going to be a little bit skeptical, especially when it can do all these amazing things. So how do you respond when people ask you if this technology is safe? Yeah, so I'll answer that in two ways. So we've had about 12 different clinical studies. Some are still ongoing at colleges of veterinary medicine around the globe, and it's proven to be very safe. Some of those studies have uh, started a few years ago. And so, as I mentioned, that one on the osteoarthritis, that was probably close to three, three and a half years. And so the tech is very safe. 
but probably the key is we had an article published in the Health Physics Journal, and that article was showing that we could monitor the health of a human baby in the womb, right? And we were collecting the heart rate, respirate, the motion and so forth of the baby. We also could separate it out from the mothers. But the real point of that study was to show how safe the technology is. And sort of the outcome of that study was that our solution only puts one five hundredth the energy, the radio energy into the body that your smart, typical smartphone does. So we're incredibly safe technology. Now on animals, we we're not regulated. We're only regulated by the Federal Communications Commission in the U.S. or their equivalent internationally. The FDA doesn't regulate what we do because it's not radiation. Now, if we're putting radiation into the body or a pharmaceutical, that would be different. The FDA would regulate it. On the human side, we still would need to go through FDA approval, right? If we're saying it's a clinical grade device and here's the clinically actionable information it's collecting, then we would have to have FDA approval. So that's all the questions I have for you. Peyton, do you have any more questions you want to ask? And Al, do you have anything you want to say? Any last minute things that you think the audience really should know this about you and about voice and about animal health? Yeah. So uh, Peyton, is there anything that you have that I can address before I um, sort of wrap? No, sir, that really answered all my questions as far as our viewers and kind of our readership target. Okay, um, okay. I, I think the, you know, the way I'll, I'll wrap it up, you know, again, I appreciate the opportunity. I think if I wanted to get something out there for everybody to realize the technology is certainly clinically actionable data is what we produce. Everything that we do is based on studies in colleges of veterinary medicine, or there's a couple that we've done in human, but everything is based on uh, clinical studies done by the clinicians. And we've actually developed this in unison with the clinicians, right? We're not just a bunch of scientists and technologists sitting around dreaming this up. It was really to tackle these problems that we've discussed during this podcast. On top of that, we've tried to keep it very simple. So the user may be a vet tech, the user may be a farmer, it may be a police, a policeman with their canine, it could be any number of different scenarios. So we've kept it very simple. Our solution is what's called good laboratory practice compliance. So it's really easy to clean and disinfect. It doesn't absorb odors. It doesn't absorb stains. Highest level of waterproofing and dustproofing, shockproofing. So we've made it to last. And then we've kept the user interface for, for instance, the pet parent, very simple on the health status of the animal, as well as alerts. And then for the clinician, we've put a lot of power into their hands to where they can slice and dice the data however they want. I mean, they can go down to a second, or they can look at a year's worth of data. They can compare across breeds. They can compare within this, the same breed. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any difference to the trend data. So we've tried to take all the human factors and ergonomics into consideration. And then the final thing I'll mention is it has over-the-air technology. So if a clinician sees something going on and they want to adjust or create a custom care flow for that particular animal, they can do that. And on the fly, that can be 
downloaded over the air so you don't have to be plugged into a docking station or hooked to a USB or a computer or something. It would do that over the air to program the new solution into the hardware. So it's really a comprehensive uh, solution. And, and we do have open APIs because we want to work with a lot of smart people like those at Animal Cloud, right? You guys are doing some pretty neat stuff and we like a lot what you're doing. So we see having uh, key relationships with other collaborators who are trying to accomplish a lot of the same things we are. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Alan Payton. I really appreciated it. I learned so much during this podcast. And thank you to our viewers for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to stay in touch with Animal Cloud, please follow us on Instagram at Animal Cloud Campus. And please connect with us on LinkedIn at Animal Cloud Device Connectivity. And also get, feel free to check out our website at www.animal.cloud. Thank you all so much for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Animal Cloud Podcast.